Hey, thanks for tuning in and joining us online this morning. I know we're spread all over the place in the front range and further away than that. If you're watching us this morning for the first time, special welcome to you. I'm glad that you're here. I know where you are. You're in your home. You're in your living room on the couch wrapped under blankets. Some of you may still be in bed or you're at the kitchen table or the dining room. Some of you may be eating a bowl of cereal. You're going to church in a really different kind of way. And we get that. It's different for us here too. I'm in the Erie Worship Center uh, all by myself along with the tech people who are helping make all this happen in such a wonderful way. Well, my dog is here. Chauncey is watching the sermon this morning. He's a really good listener. He listens well and for about five minutes and then he sleeps like a dog. It's amazing. Some of you, uh, you can't do that this morning. But he's with me, and I wish you were, and soon we'll be back together. But we don't care. This is the way it is right now, and we're getting used to this new way of going to church. And that's okay. We trust in the sovereignty of God. We know he's oriented all of this, and he's working in ways that we may not see totally, and we're okay with it. So sit back, and let's get our Bibles and open up them together to Acts chapter 9. I want you to consider the sovereignty of God over the last month while we entered into this phase of worshiping during the COVID-19 era. It was uh, four weeks ago on uh, March 15th that we first met by ourselves and we were uh, recording that message and we weren't in the building together on that day for the first time. On March 15th, we looked at Acts chapter 6. It's a chapter in which the early church met with new problems, and because they had new problems, they had to create new structures. It's a beautiful chapter in the sovereignty of God that when we entered this phase of a new kind of worship together, that was our chapter. God was sovereign in that. On the next week, March 22nd, we studied Acts 7. Acts 7 is the episode of Stephen being martyred for his faith, and his death at the hands of evil men was a really startling story at a time when our own mortality was in our minds. And yet we watch Stephen face his own death with two really stunning qualities. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he kept his eyes on Jesus. Watching Stephen go through that episode on March 22nd as we studied together helped us think about death. And we were reminded that there is something worse than death. What's worse than death is not being prepared to die. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit with his eyes on Jesus, was ready. And I just believe in the sovereignty of God. He led us to that text. And then last week, March 29th, we looked at Acts chapter 8, and Thomas led us through the growing persecution in Jerusalem that spread the church and scattered people out of Jerusalem to some new and further remote areas. And that scattering gave the opportunity for the church to live in a new way, separated by distance but united in the bond of love The church shared with each other, loved each other, and as a result of that sharing, many people came to salvation in Jesus Christ. 
Could that be more relevant to where we are today? It was that chapter that Thomas pointed us to that as we live out our life in times of difficulty, doing good deeds in the name of Jesus, there is kind of an openness and goodwill that occurs that allows the platform for the good news to be shared. It's a beautiful message. And now today, here we are, April 5th, week number four, since COVID came. We're going to look at chapter 9. And in chapter 9, we're going to look at the biggest transformation, perhaps, or at least one of them in all the Bible, the salvation of a man named Saul, who later became known as Paul the Apostle, who himself is responsible for the majority of the writing in the New Testament. Saul was captured by God while he was trying to capture other Christians. And God so transformed his life. And this, the episode today is just a glimpse at how God transforms the most unlikely candidates in order to show his glory and accomplish his purposes. So if you have your Bible, let's turn together to Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Now there are three words that I want you to have in your mind this morning. Three words that will sort of shape the frame of our time together. They're simple. The first is before. And the second word is then. And the third word is after. Let's look at the first word. It's in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9. Before. That is before Saul ever came to know Jesus Christ we read this about him. Uh, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now this is the way the chapter opens. If we had looked back earlier, we would have been able to see at the end of chapter 7 and the first verse of chapter 8 that Saul is introduced when Stephen is stoned. And those who were stoning Stephen to death laid their garments at the feet of Saul. And Saul gave hearty approval to the death of Stephen. But here in chapter 9, we see that Paul is, Saul is still breathing out these threats. It's a picture of him being so filled with hatred so filled with murderous anger that he's breathing, I just want to kill these Christians. It's hard for us to imagine someone of such hatred, but he's filled with rage in himself, and he's angry. His mission is to destroy the very church, which in this verse, verse 2, is called, you see it? The way. The way. That was an early phrase used by Luke, who wrote the book of Acts to describe the Christian movement, the way. I wonder why. Think, about, think among yourselves why it is that it was called the way. It's because they were following Jesus, isn't it? Who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So those who followed Jesus were called members of the way. Now it was Saul's mission out of hatred, 
to actually capture those people, bring them bound back to Jerusalem. And to do so, um, in another place, later in Acts, Paul tells his own testimony. And he writes in Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, he said, Before I knew Christ, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus, of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make the Christians blaspheme Jesus. And in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. That's the way he described his life mission before, before, before. Before he came to know Jesus, he was a man filled with hate and murder and destruction of the very things that were important to God. It's a terrible thing to realize that you come to a place in your life and what you're doing is actually against what God wants you to be doing. How awful is that? But sometimes, when you have no intention of meeting God, he moves toward you. And that's what we see happening with Saul. He has no intention of meeting God, and he actually thinks the terrible things he's doing are serving God. And then... Before, he was on a mission to destroy the works of God. And then, let's pick it up in verse 3. What happened? Secondly, then, now as he went on his way, he was approaching Damascus. Damascus was the ancient capital city of Syria. And while he's on his way, with letters of authority to capture Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem, suddenly a light from heaven shone on him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's walking on the road and a light breaks out of heaven and it startles him and stops him dead in his tracks. We're not used to seeing someone so arrested on the road by meeting Jesus. You remember the last person in the account of Acts to personally see the resurrected, glorified Jesus? It was Stephen. While he was being put to death, he looked up into heaven and he said, I see the Son of Man glorified sitting at the right hand of the Father. I think it's amazing that Luke records that Stephen saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus and the next person for that to occur, which is very rare, and not to happen again, is the man by the name of Saul. And here's Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, and Saul answered and said, who are you, Lord? Whether or not he knew it was Jesus yet, we're not sure. It might have just been a title of respect because he was so startled. But the answer comes back this way in verse 5, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And the Lord Jesus is talking to Saul on the road. 
in a bright, brilliant light. I am the Lord speaking to you. And you're persecuting me. I think it's amazing that Jesus says to Saul, it's me you're persecuting. I would imagine Saul would have said, wait, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you're hearing what Jesus is saying. Any attack on the people of God is an attack on God. And any pain felt by God's children is a pain felt by the high priest Jesus who intercedes on our behalf. And if you attack the children of the king, you attack the king. Jesus saw you're persecuting me. These are my children. I just want to remind you, if you belong to Jesus today, he knows what you feel. He knows what you're going through. And he says to Saul, you're persecuting me as you persecute my followers. And the men, uh, Jesus says, but you should rise and enter the city that I will show you, and you'll be told what you should do. And then verse 7, and the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him away by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was there without sight, and he neither ate nor he drank. Before he was a persecutor of the church. And then, in this remarkable experience, he meets Jesus on the road. And when he meets Jesus, Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And what happens when he meets Jesus is he falls down and his vision is taken away. He's absolutely blinded. It was a miraculous judgment of God to take away his sight. And it shows his absolute dependence upon these men who are now going to hold the hand of one of the Pharisees of Pharisees and lead him by the hand into Damascus and to wait there for further instructions. He's blinded. He's broken. He can't do anything except say, I need help. When you meet Jesus, that's the disposition. That's the only response to have when Jesus comes and say, why are you... I'm not persecuting you. Why are you resisting me? Well, I'm not. Maybe I'm resisting you. Why are you ignoring me? And you come face to face with Jesus in your before life. And then he sees you. And then he calls your name. And he reaches out to you and he makes himself known. And the only response is, I'm blind without you. I need you. And here's Saul absolutely being led by the hand into Damascus. The other cue I get in this response is that for three days, he eats and drinks nothing. There's nothing that will satisfy him. He knows what he has done, and he's absolutely broken before God. No food, no water, no sight. He's alone. He's contemplating how he has wasted his previous life, and then he met Jesus. But you need to know that the sacrifices that God delights in is a contrite and a broken spirit. Before, Saul would say, I hated the church. And then, 
I met Jesus on a road to Damascus, and my life was changed. And the third word, then, that we might say is that afterward something happened. We don't have time to read all the way through, but you can pick it up in verse 10. And you'll notice that there was another disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And God goes to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I want you to go into the city and I want you to meet this man named Saul. And Ananias says, wait, wait, wait. Lord, I have heard about this man. He is a bad, bad dude. And I don't want to go see him. He has authority right now to take us all captive and bring us bound to Jerusalem. But the Lord says, I'm changing his life. And in verse 15 and 16, the Lord says to Ananias, go. He's not a bad dude. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and to carry my name before kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's what he was like before. But then I met him on the road and I have saved him by my grace. And after that, he's my chosen instrument. I just want you to contemplate. Every one of us in the room today have a before, who we were before Jesus. And then we might have our story. I wonder if you have your story. Then I met Jesus. Or is it possible that you're still in your before life? You haven't met Jesus yet. You've never said to him, I know who you are. You are Jesus. And I know why you came into this world. Hey, listen, if you're still in the before part of life, where you are pre-knowing Jesus, I want to ask you to consider that Jesus Christ came to be the forgiver and the redeemer of every failure. You say, well, I never persecuted the church. But have you ever resisted Jesus? Have you ever just lived ignoring His reality? Knowing what you see now, you know that Jesus Christ comes to change life and to make it absolutely different so that when He transforms a life, He gives a totally new life purpose. I mean, here we are living in the midst of this experience in our nation and we're saying, what's the purpose of my life? Why should I be here? One of the things that we're doing as a church staff is we're reaching out to everybody, particularly in our community of church, who work in the medical industry, and we're just checking with our doctors. How are you doing? How are you holding up? And many of them are saying these have been the hardest days of our life. These are the longest hours that we're, we've ever had to work. But I spoke with one of our medical professionals, a doctor this week, who said at work this week, the whole COVID experience has been a real chance for me to be a witness for Christ. I have volunteered to be part of the high-risk respiratory clinic. And I've encouraged other believing medical professionals to remain on the front lines. Some of the non-believers in the clinic have refused to see sick patients. And I'm respectful of their wishes, she writes. But it has been a moment in time for me to discuss with them what they believe will happen if or when they die. I love listening to this doctor say, I know this has happened in this community right now for me to be on the front lines. And I know she has a story that she's told that before she came to Jesus, 
She might have had a different mission. And then she met Jesus. And then today, her whole life mission is about, I'm in this time, in these circumstances, that I might be a witness for Christ. This man, Saul, on the road, actually changed his name. His, na- his name was changed to Paul. And when Paul wrote to Timothy, these are some of the words that he wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed to me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and it's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I know you're home alone, but listen to what he said, of whom I am the foremost. I want you to read that out loud to yourself. Paul said, I am the foremost of sinners. I'm the absolute worst. And then in verse 16, he said this, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, in order that, that a new purpose, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul was a, he was a wrecker of the church. And then he met Jesus. And then the only thing he gave his life to was that he might be an example to others who might come to faith in Christ. Every one of us here today have a before. I wonder if you have the then. Have you met Jesus? I want to encourage you to open your heart to him. And perhaps you're here and you do have a before and then you have a then. You know when you came to know Jesus. What's your after look like? Does your after you've come to Jesus have this same sense of mission that I am living in 2020 during the midst of a global pandemic that I might live for the one who saved me by his grace on mission hey why don't you this week think about one of these questions Um, what was my before like or what's the aim of my after And this week when you're meeting with your family over meals or you're meeting in your small group or you're just reflecting on your own, you might ask yourself, is my after pointing where Jesus wants me to go? He said, I I am Jesus. I'm the son of God. And I just pray our heart will rest in him. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of being in the book of Acts to look at a life like Saul's, a transformation so dramatic that once he would take life away from believers in Christ and then he would lay down his life on behalf of others. What a transformation because of Jesus. I pray that our own hearts will be so deeply rooted in the gospel of mercy and grace and forgiveness in Jesus, that you will just let us this week really reflect on the direction of our life. We invite you to come and transform us for such a time as this, that we would live in this world as lights for Jesus. Do it in us individually. Do it in our families. Do it as we are in a time of need where we deeply need your presence in our life. This is what we all pray for in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen.